part of the reason that A-Rod is with us is because we have a huge announcement. Not only will you see this fall, this summer, on MLB on Fox, Alex Rodriguez, but the newest member of the Fox baseball team joins us right now. Welcome in, Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter is joining the Fox MLB analyst team. We'll be breaking that down, what that means, plus we'll look at the rise of off-course golf. It's Tuesday, February 14th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Derek Jeter's second act has been largely focused on media. He has a publication focused on telling athlete stories called the Players Tribune. ESPN came out with a docu-series over the summer called The Captain. And now he will be an MLB analyst at the table with Super Bowl broadcaster Kevin Burkhart, who I thought did a great job, longtime friendly rival David Ortiz, and Alex Rodriguez. Now, when A-Rod came to the Yankees in 2004, he moved to third base from shortstop out of deference to the captain. But now Jeter is coming onto A-Rod's turf, and we will see how much deference they show to each other now. The two of them were close, and then things got kind of frosty between them all the way back in 2001, when Rodriguez, who had just signed a 10-year, $252 million contract with the Texas Rangers, at the time a record in professional sports, he did an interview with Esquire and said, among other things, quote, No, there's not a rivalry at all. Not even, I mean, rivalry? Like, ours is such a brotherhood that there's definitely no rivalry there. And it's weird because even with my brother, we have a little rivalry. But with Derek, I'm his biggest fan, and I think it's vice versa. But then, just a little later, he said, quote, Jeter's been blessed with great talent around him. He's never had to lead. He can just go and play and have fun. And he hits second. That's totally different than third and fourth in a lineup. You go into New York, you want to stop Bernie and O'Neal. You never say, don't let Derek beat you. He's never your concern. End quote. And Jeter didn't like that. The never had to lead comment is actually the more defensible part of that because Jeter was 26 at the time. He was the up and coming star in the Yankees, but he was a star. I went back and looked at that 2000 Yankees team, which won the World Series against the Mets. Don't have to remind me. And Jeter was not quite as good as Bernie Williams that year, but he was much better than Paul O'Neill. He wasn't a big home run hitter, and this was the height of a steroid era. But as an overall offensive weapon, Jeter was absolutely someone you fear in that lineup. And maybe just because he's a hyper-competitive person, which top athletes tend to be, maybe because Jeter was the golden boy of New York, but this was not a one-time thing for A-Rod. A couple of years later, still on the Rangers, he had a memorable experience with ESPN personality Dan Patrick. So A-Rod calls in, and then I, I say to him, what do you think about Jeter's contract? He goes, there's nothing that he does better than me. We ended up airing that, and it was front page. It was big news in the New York tabloids where he was calling out Jeter before he had gotten to the Yankees. And look, this stuff is 20 years old, and they did play on the same team on the same side of the infield for 10 years. They're capable of being professional, and Jeter made an appearance on the K-Rod show, which was Fox's attempt at an MLB Manning cast. Not quite as successful as the actual Manning cast. But it will be really interesting to see how A-Rod responds to sharing a set with someone who, nearly a decade after he retired, MLB is still promoting as the face of the game. There's also a collector's edition of MLB The Show that has someone different on the cover, and I have the first copy of it right here. That is Derek Jeter right there on the cover. I also wouldn't be surprised if they tried giving Jeter his own Manny Cast type thing. 
As for Fox, if they hadn't already made it clear with their signing of Tom Brady to a record broadcast contract, they're clearly gunning for the biggest names among former players to draw viewers to their broadcasts. And they have a lot invested in MLB. Last year was the first of a seven-year contract extension, which gives Fox 52 Saturday broadcasts, exclusive rights to the World Series, one of the two league championship series, and two of the four division series. With the latter two, they switch leagues each year. So this past year, ESPN had the wildcard games, and after that, TBS had the American League and Fox had the National League games. This year, Fox and TBS will swap leagues, and they go back and forth until 2028. Fox is paying a reported $729 million per season for those MLB rights. And to draw you in, they are relying on two superstars who cannot seem to get away from each other. Let's take a look at what else is going on. The Canadian women's soccer team is going to play, but they are not happy. The team was considering a strike after the Canadian government cut their funding. They have three upcoming games for the She Believes Cup, which is an invitational tournament that takes place over this week and next and is between Canada, the US, Brazil, and Japan. The Canadian team was prepared to sit those games out in protest until they met with Canada Soccer, who said, if you do that, we're suing you for millions of dollars. The team has knocked back down from their message, which primarily concerned lack of funding and equal pay issues. And this is not great timing for Canada. This team won the gold medal in the Tokyo Olympics in 2021 and is going to play in the Women's World Cup in five months. Speaking of bad ideas, Elon Musk is reportedly monitoring the sale of Manchester United and is considering a bid. And hey, that's probably the one guy who could take over and make fans miss the Glazers. In other news, The Athletic is reporting that Mark Lazary is close to selling his 25% stake in the Milwaukee Bucks to Jimmy and Dee Haslam, who own the Cleveland Browns and the MLS team Columbus Crew. And as expected, the Super Bowl set sports betting records in the U.S. GeoComply tracked 100 million sports betting transactions over the weekend, and at points during the game, FanDuel was processing 50,000 bets per second. Up next, I spoke with True Golf executive Mason Jones on how off-course golf, which is almost a mix between golf and a video game, and has this casual feel that's more akin to bowling than traditional golf. That is now bigger and more popular than regular golf. We'll have that conversation right after this. Two thousand, two thousand eight, twenty twenty two. When it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. Dot com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. One thing is certain it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers, but over thirty one thousand businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. So, how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improved their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. What are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash frontoffice right now. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. All right, I'm joined today by Mason Jones. He's the VP of Marketing at TrueGolf. Welcome, Mason. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so just to get to know you and True Golf a little bit before we dive into the wider industry, what is True Golf? And yeah, what do you guys do? 
Yeah, so TrueGolf is a golf technology company, and we specialize in golf simulation software and launch monitor technology. So since about 1999, we've been really focused on indoor golf as a solution to the problems facing golf and the challenges that golf has with growth. And since that time, we've kind of seen technology come down in price and, you know, iPhones and PC computing power become more available for everyone. So we've moved from an indoor golf technology company to just a standardized golf technology company. Yeah. So I, I want to get into this this indoor golf phenomenon. So, yeah, what is what is indoor golf? So pretty broadly, um, those are under the umbrella of off course golf. So off course golf includes golf simulators and non-traditional golf opportunities, right? So you have Top Golf, which is functionally using golf technology to track the projectile and where it goes. So you can play different games like darts and horse, and, and you're still swinging a, a real golf club, hitting a real golf ball, but the tech is making that a little bit more engaging. And then where we've always focused is golf simulation. So um, we've always made launch monitors. These are typically high-speed camera systems or radar systems um, that sit above or behind the golfer, and they track all the launch parameters of the golf ball and then we take that data and and then we input it into our video game so since about the 1980s we've been doing golf video games and then in 1999 is when we started doing um the actual interpreting the real life data inputting it into the golf simulation game and then you can play real life courses or you know work on your game do club fitting and uh really measure how you would perform outside only inside so you've got your hardcore golfers who, yeah, want to know the the arc and the speed and the distance of their shots and, you know, don't necessarily have to go to a, a driving range to do that and even, maybe even get more information than you would um, than you would at a, at a driving range or on a course because you can measure every single thing. But you also can draw in people like me. Like, I, I, I don't golf. It's just something I never picked up. But I've been to a Top Golf once and you can do things like... You, you hit the ball, you, you drive uh, as best you can, which for me is, you know, if it just like goes in a straight line, I'm, I'm happy. Um, but then you like look on a screen and it's like Angry Birds and like you just knocked over a bunch of like, you know, the, the pig's castles and it's very satisfying. Uh, so it's like a video game essentially where the golf ball and the golf club are the controller and, and it adds this kind of fun element to it that you don't get just from whacking a ball. Yeah, definitely. And you've kind of touched on our three main points are availability, approachability, and affordability. So golf obviously has some problems. Here in Salt Lake City, our golfing season is shorter than it is in Florida. So the people who really want to work on their game and get better, they need a solution that's realistic that makes the game more available. So whether they're looking for those in-depth metrics to enhance their on-course performance or whether they just want to go play a course and kind of get that satisfaction of playing the game they love when there's 12 inches of snow outside. That's golf technology's made it more available to play the game. And then you touched on approachability, which is we believe everyone loves golf and we believe that golf is for everyone, whether or not they know it yet. However, we like to take away some of that intimidation by having these non-traditional versions of golf, right? So whether you're playing Angry Birds, whether you're um, – focused on more of these like driving range games and um, we think that the act of hitting the ball getting the ball in the air and watching it go where you want to 
that's going to hook anybody. It's just how do we get them to want to do it? So we focus on availability, approachability, and then affordability, right? You talk about all of these non-traditional or off-course golf venues that are becoming available in different parts. Well, you can't put an 18-hole golf course in Manhattan. There simply just is not room or anywhere to go. So that's encroaching on the ability for golf to be available for people who can't take Saturday or Sunday or work off Monday through Friday to go. So now we have these off-course golf experiences that enhanced by the developments in technology, they're so realistic and so satisfying that we've seen people all of a sudden, they're using that to replace off-course golf and not really replace, but to supplement it, right? When it's not available to them. We recently got some numbers from the, the National Golf Foundation put out what's called the Graphis Report. So what does that show us about the growth and the uh, where we're at with both regular golf, traditional golf, and, um, and off-course golf? What we see is that golf has never been bigger. Golf is having a moment. So I think it was about 41.1 million Americans played golf in some form or fashion in 2022. And what we're seeing now is that it was 27, 28 million who played off course. This includes driving ranges, golf simulator venues, or entertainment ranges like a Top Golf or a Tee Shots. And then we had 25.6 million who played on course. So we're actually starting to see that shift is that the availability provided by golf technology is helping grow these numbers where it hadn't before. And we're seeing the average age of off course only golfers is much, much, almost 15 years lower than on course only golfers. So we're seeing that younger demographics, um, younger side millennials, Gen Y and everyone below, they're really trending for uh, off course and on course rather than uh, kind of more of that baby boomer generation and Gen X who are on course only. So we're getting more people, we're getting a higher level of diversity within the game. We're seeing um, accessibility for the game of people who traditionally have not picked up clubs and started playing provided by these off course experiences. Yeah. And just to put it like super crudely, it's, um, it's not just old, rich, white men who are doing this. And it's, you know, that's not true of traditional golf either. Uh, but that is a stereotype that, you know, has more truth to it than you would find for off course. I think we're seeing roughly about double the amount of, uh, yeah, that traditionally, I think it's like 20% of on course golf is, is non-white and it's like 40% of off course. Like it's a significant, meaningful number. Yeah. And going back to those totals of, you know, as you said, like about 28 million, 27, 28 for off course, about 25 for on course. What do those numbers say to you in terms of if you look, you know, past five, 10, even 20 years? So last year, we set the record with about 3.2 million people who played golf for the first time. Basically, that trend is continuing, right? So we had the biggest number of new participants last year, and then we broke it with 2022. And that number, they call it the tiger boom in 2000. Like we've gone so far beyond that, that golf itself, if you think of it as a funnel, like just the base of the funnel is getting so much bigger. We're appealing to more people. We're accessible to more people and more people are picking up the game, which historically has been the greatest indicator of the overall health. How many new people are getting into the game? And then how many people continue to play the game who have played it before? Just to, to wrap this up, so you had a huge growth year in 2022. Golf industry did generally. What should we be looking forward to, um, looking toward, you know, over the next couple of years? So True Golf released its newest launch monitor, Apogee. And what we're seeing is the demand for 
launch monitors like Apogee in the industry, they used to be complements to traditional golf venues. So it used to be somewhere that selling golf clubs or a golf course would add these indoor golf solutions to their place of business. What we've seen over really the past five years is this almost hockey stick-like growth of just these traditional brick, non-traditional golf brick and mortars where people are buying five, 10, 15 golf simulators, putting them in one place. And they're not necessarily about academies or training, but they're about entertainment venues. So we actually don't see any of this growth slowing down just internally. And then the trends throughout the industry that we're seeing broadly with our competitors is that all of a sudden, the because technology's gotten so good, because launch monitors have gotten better, because software looks so good now, that people, this is a viable alternative to on-course golf, and folks are really embracing it, and that's where we see this growth opportunity not even slowing down remotely. Yeah, very cool. All right, Mason Jones, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. That will do it for this episode. Take a moment to relax because the Super Bowl is over, and pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.